Greetings from New Jersey Institute of Technology. I'm Mike Smollett, Executive Director of the Alumni Relations Office in NJIT, and I'm very happy to welcome you to our latest Highlander Chat, Diversity and Inclusion by Design, Transforming Culture to Increase Health Equity and Employee Engagement. It's my pleasure to introduce our speaker today, Paula Gutierrez, Class of 2009. Paula, very nice to see you today. Thank you, Mike. Thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here today. So, Paula, the first question I've got to ask, uh, particularly given what you do, um, how's the family? How's life? How are you doing? Things are good. Thank you. You know, it's certainly been uh, a crazy year, right, for everybody. Uh, adjusting to a new norm, working, you know, for a lot of folks working from home in the middle of a pandemic, but also, you know, making sure that everybody is safe and well. So thank you for asking. I'm okay. I've been, I've been working the whole time. Uh, I work at a hospital. So it's been business as usual for me and to a certain degree, which, which I'm a little happy about. Yeah. And a little bit of normalcy this whole time. So. So but normalcy is such a wonderful thing. <laughs> you can get as close to it as possible in this time day. Um, so Paula, you, you've got really an incredibly important job. Uh, I was thrilled to run across your information a few years ago. Uh, I know that you used to work in um, organ transplants. You've had sort of a career with hospitals, with healthcare, with community engagement. Now you find yourself as Director of Diversity and Inclusion at Robert Wood Johnson Barnabas Health, Robert Wood Johnson University Hospital in Somerset. Um, can you fill us in on the general details of what you do on a day-to-day -day basis? Yeah, certainly. Uh, so really, I, I wear a lot of hats. I wear multiple hats. One of the biggest pieces of my job in um, in DNI, as we call it, diversity and inclusion, is to make sure that we are looking at our community and what does our community look like in terms of how are we as a hospital ensuring that we're providing healthcare services to that particular patient population. So Somerset County is um, is rather diverse. I mean, New Jersey is the fourth most diverse uh, state in the country. And Somerset is no different. So making sure that the programs and services that we have available at the hospital are really tailored to ensure that the folks that live outside the walls of the hospital are able to access care um, equitably. So, you know, from a health equity lens, that's sort of what one piece of my, my role is. The other part uh, in terms of employee engagement is leading our business resource groups or our employee resource groups, which some folks, uh, it's interchangeable depending on the industry. So um, tailoring it to our population within the walls of the hospital and ensuring that employees can be engaged and have a voice. And typically these business resource groups are groups of employees that come together on a shared characteristic quality or life experience. At our campus, we have five, uh, which are focused on uh, our black and African-American workforce, our Latino workforce, our female workforce, our veterans, and our LGBTQ plus employees. So each of those groups works together to educate our internal uh, employee population on issues that may affect that particular community. But also the great thing about that group is that they also go outside the walls of the hospital. So it's, it's multifaceted in that it promotes employee engagement and employee retention to make sure those folks have a voice uh, for what happens in the hospital, but also they can take that and transfer uh, those those action items outside of the um, outside of the hospital. Again, to tying it back to that health equity um, piece. The other, the third part that I am involved in is I work closely with HR to look at our hiring um, and our recruitment practices, as well as our um, promotions and advancement. So, for example, with our board, 
and our leadership ensuring that there's opportunities for uh, diverse individuals to have a seat at the table for those particular uh, groups. Well, thank you for describing that. Obviously, that's a, a pretty comprehensive job that you do. Um, and I was thinking about this the other day. I was speaking with a colleague of mine about alumni engagement, alumni relations. And they said, look, how do you get some things done? It can be challenging in any organization, especially a large one, to try and achieve and really hit the results. And what struck me was trying to explain the sense of trust, right? So you have to build up that trust for uh, what you're doing, you have to show some results, you have to know you're going to follow through, and then you have to establish some kind of relationship with your organization. Now, that's just, say, to plan an event and do it well. What you're doing is so much larger than that and encompasses so much. Um, it seems to me that you've got trust as it's got to be a core element of what you do and trust from all sorts of different stakeholders. Does that ring true to you? And, and, and if so, how do you do that? Yeah, no, Mike, that's certainly that's certainly true. You have to develop trust and, and a rapport with individuals. And I think for me, um, as a leader, not just in diversity and inclusion, but, but as a leader in general within healthcare, uh, authenticity is really key. You have to really be authentic in your intentions because people will see right through that. So if we're trying to achieve something or engage a particular group, you really have to come in kind of with an open mind and an open heart. Um, not necessarily with an agenda so that you can gain the trust of those individuals. So being authentic and true to what you're trying to accomplish and the folks that you're trying to sort of galvanize uh, to bring forth that initiative is a really key um, element. So, but of course, being authentic also comes with engaging other people that may have that relationship already and engaging them to help you uh, sort of get your foot in to the particular group or, or community or people that you're trying to uh, connect with. So it's certainly, you know, for, from my perspective or for me, being an authentic leader, but also leveraging um, the relationships that I already may have fostered because of that uh, to help me get into where I'm trying to sort of, you know, get that trust. So I've got to say one of the things that I, that I loved uh, when I was doing some research prior to the Highlander chat. Of course, you know this, we had a conversation a little bit uh, prior to today. But one of the things that I loved um, was a presentation that you did recently uh, in Somerset County. And it was this wonderful demonstration of the different elements that go into the community engagement you do. And uh, quite frankly, I, I thought it was such a great description because you, you almost drew it like this concentric circle. Um, from this core of engagement, and you said, okay, so here's some of the primary elements you consider, you know, what's, what's your uh, gender, gender identity, um, what are some of, the, some of the social elements, you know, what do you align yourself with in terms of civic organizations and things like that, and the way you described it was uh, excellent because it's, it's what you do on a day-to-day -day basis, and when I saw that, I said, oh, man, you know, I, I do some similar things, but the way you conveyed it was excellent. I wonder, uh, first off, how did you come to view that? You know, we talked a little bit about some of your background, but what's the throughput in your career and in, in your, your personal um, mindset about things that allowed you to see it that way? And when did you start realizing this is something that could really uh, help you professionally, but really help your organization professionally? Yeah, so I think for a lot of people, when they hear uh, the term diversity and inclusion, their immediate thought is um, diversity in terms of race and ethnicity. And you know, 
sort of referencing that um, that diagram that, that you were speaking to that I presented at, at the Somerset County um, Diversity Council uh, is that there are so many elements of diversity, you know, and they start really with our primary dimensions and who we are as individuals, you know, whether it's, you, you said, our gender identity, um, our sex assigned at birth, you know, our age, you know, where, where we live, where we're born, where we go to school. So you start to sort of uh, kind of go out into those different dimensions and you come to find that we have very diverse dimensions uh, that represent each other. So it's not just our race and ethnicity, but, you know, something as simple as the religion that we choose to practice, the town that we live in, where we go to school. Those are all elements of diversity. Um, so to answer your question and, and, you know, kind of backtracking and on how I got into this kind of work, um, really, I, I did work for a very long time in nonprofit. I've been in healthcare my entire life for over over a decade, and maybe I'm dating myself a little bit. Uh, but really, I, I was able to see front and center working in different hospitals across the state on um, the inequities that existed in different segments of the population and in different areas. So, you know, more affluent um, suburban hospitals, uh, you know, the, the patients that came in, it was it was a certain level of care. And then you went to different areas and it, it was a little bit different. So that um, not being a clinician, I was trying to figure out how I can really make a difference in healthcare uh, and, you know, diversity and inclusion sort of came knocking at my door quite literally. And I said, you know, initially I, I really had no clue what it was. And as I started to do my research, it dawned upon me that I had been living this. I had shared with you previously, um, first generation American. My parents are from Colombia. I'm, you know, Latina. Uh, and English is not my first language. I learned uh, to speak English, you know, in school. I learned Spanish at home first. And then when I went to school is when I learned English. So I sort of had a front row seat with my own family and a close circle of, of friends and other, you know, neighbors that we had in how language barriers, cultural barriers affected um, a lot of what you do every single day, whether it was going to the doctor or, you know, calling the phone company or the, you know, PSEG, for example, and how all of those things uh, impacted a community. So when this role in diversity and inclusion kind of popped up, I said, you know, this is this is where I'm meant to be because I, I really have a lived experience and can speak to this work, but also the experience that I had uh, working with the New Jersey Sharing Network and organ and tissue donation with so many diverse individuals um, that, you know, we needed a life-saving transplant and, and addressing a lot of the cultural, uh, religious uh, language barriers that would come up in that, um, in that setting. So this was really just a very organic and, and natural progression to the next um, phase of my, of my career. So it's been, it's been incredibly rewarding. Um, it's certainly very challenging. Uh, and taxing, but but it's very rewarding to know that you can you know you can really change how someone experiences um, healthcare. You know, as a healthcare organization, you know we talk about um, equality and equity, and sometimes those terms are used um, you know synonymously, but they're actually quite different. You know, we talk about healthcare equality is having access to a hospital, and healthcare equity is really how are, how are we amending and ensuring that when folks come in that we are delivering the best care possible to suit their particular needs because you know if we think about you and I um, you know your needs Mike and my needs are very different so when you're coming into the hospital 
how are we ensuring that there's equity for you and and for me? So I, that's an excellent summary of what that was. And to be honest with you, uh, the more I learn about it, and and you know I think we're all learning, but I own that I still have a lot to learn myself. Uh, it's tough to understand it in some ways until and something I really value that that you've expressed is when you relate it to your own life and then suddenly it's like a light bulb goes off and you realize, oh, wait a minute, this is something that actually makes sense. It's relevant in that context. You understand then maybe a little bit more what other people are going through or what you want them to have access to. Uh, But that light bulb is a tough thing and uh, it, it can be anyway. And something that really struck me was that so much of uh, this conversation centers around things that tend to be unconscious in general. So there must be techniques uh, or, or ways that in order to ensure that we're looking at that sort of equity and the diversity and the inclusion and those sort of things, things that really do matter to us and in terms of uh, engaging people around us, there must be some ways where we can kind of break ourselves out of the mold a little. Yeah. Um, and, and I wonder if you've run across those, is that some of that energy that you've got to expend is saying, okay, here's the tools and then having to make sure that those tools are there, not just for you, but for the folks around you sometimes. Yeah. And it's certainly about, you know, I you think you articulated it quite well as about making the unconscious conscious. And a lot of this really is about heightening individual's level of awareness because we don't know what we don't know right and and we have to be aware of that that we don't know what we don't know so you know when i um deliver you know education or or talks about around diversity and inclusion i i use that example right the different dimensions to have people sort of understand a little bit more broadly of what diversity and inclusion is and uh those differences but also being aware of where where are our shortcomings. And perhaps we may respond a certain way to a certain group of people or, or an individual because of a previous experience. I like to use my Starbucks example. Um, I was at Starbucks and this was a long time ago and I was waiting in line and two um, young girls you know, cut in front of me, right? And, you know, they, they were chatting and on their phone. So, you know, I, I kind of let it go. But now to, to talk about unconscious bias now, potentially, every time I see a teenage girl or two teenage girls, I might have a reaction that, you know, might be assuming that they're going to behave in the same way that that interaction I previously had. So that's where you know, I come in when I try to, to talk to folks about unconscious bias and, and bringing this forth is that you have to be aware of how you react to certain people or certain experiences because it's, it's predicated on the past and being aware of those triggers or how you respond to certain individuals or certain experiences is the first step in sort of changing and modifying those behaviors because that's ultimately what a lot of this is about. It's about um, being aware of what you don't know, but then it's really modifying behaviors and being comfortable being uncomfortable, if that makes sense. So if I know that that I react this way to, to, to the teenage girls, um, I have to know that. And when I see that, say, okay, take a moment and pause and sort of just let that, situ- that interaction happen. And if I find myself responding or reacting a certain way to, to that group or or that person, 
kind of taking that pause and saying, okay, this is why I'm, I'm responding to this, but letting that play out and giving that individual a chance or those individuals a chance to sort of, you know, correct that wrong, if that makes sense. No, it definitely does. Um, and I have to say one of the, again, as we've talked about, one of the things that struck me sort of like a lightning bolt was the sense that this is the sort of thing that can actually stop people from seeking out yeah. uh, needed healthcare or, or stop them from even viewing it as an option. And quite frankly, that's not something I ever would have thought about. You know, you think of the hospital and the hospital is the hospital. You go when you have to go and that's what it is. And there's challenges to doing that for a variety of different places. But one of the biggest, um, especially right now, is that unconscious that stops you from doing it. Uh-huh. One thing I do want to ask you about briefly, um, I know that you've had a lot of success in your approach here because you're also based in data. Uh, you look through, you do a lot of analysis on how you've done this and what the outcomes are. Um, so can you say that based on these things, you really can show that impact that yes, the community is engaging. Yes, it's raising unconscious to conscious. Yeah, actually, and and you know, this talk is is quite timely because you know when we first started talking about um, you know the COVID pandemic, right? This has all impacted all of us in some way, shape, or form, and certainly healthcare. Um, so in in Somerset County, well, actually throughout throughout the country, um, the COVID pandemic has disproportionately impacted communities of color. Uh, in Somerset County, we've seen that with the Hispanic population. So in the Hispanic population in Somerset County is really only 15% of the population. But at one point at our hospital, the number of folks that were in the hospital with COVID, it was as high as 70%, 7-0 of our COVID positive patients were Hispanic from some, from Somerset County. So for me, of course, from a health equity lens, that raised a lot of red flags saying, well, okay, why, why is this community coming in and, and why are we seeing such a high number of folks um, infected with COVID-19? So in partnership with our community health department, we started to look at that and really uh, address and, and dive deeper into what we call um, the social determinants of health and the systemic inequalities that affect the Hispanic population. So of course, language barrier and limited English proficiency being the first one. And so what were we as an organization, so both as RWJ Barnabas Health, but as RWJ Somerset, what were we doing to get the messaging out to that community? So what we immediately did was translate our materials into Spanish uh, and get them out into the community that really, that really needed it via these trusted community partners that we already had. So. Uh, really using them and leveraging them as we, as I had alluded to before, to get that information. Another area that we found was a gap was um, resources. The community didn't have uh, any, many masks, hand sanitizer, any of that protective equipment that is necessary to really combat um, the virus. So we used, again, our community, we had um, different mask drives for uh, donated masks that we were then able to donate back into the Hispanic community. So throughout um, the period of about six weeks, we actually went out using our, our Latino, our Salud Business Resource Group, which is our own employees that speak Spanish that, uh, or, and, or are also from, uh, from the Hispanic community going out and doing education in the community in Spanish about masking and hygiene, social distancing, and also providing those necessary resources. So we found that that's really the way 
that, you know, we're able to sort of address some of these um, health inequities and social determinants of health. But it, it all kind of ties back into what we're doing in diversity and inclusion with our own employees and, and using them uh, to help us, right? So it keeps them engaged because they know they're doing something good for, for a community that's underserved. But then the community then finds out that, oh, wow, okay, there are people at RWG Somerset that not only speak my language, but understand my culture. So they're more likely to come and seek services that they otherwise would not have in the past. And we actually, um, through this six-week period, and we're actually still doing this um, this uh, ongoing outreach, uh, we managed to really flatten that curve within the Hispanic population in, in Somerset County. So it was it was really exciting because we saw the direct impact of the of the work that we did, and we were able to help out you know folks that that come into our hospital all the time, and even individuals that never that never would have come in that now may be more likely to use our services. That's kind of the definition of success in the community and, and basing it in data, but also that, that human touch. And, you know, it stands out to me. Um, you, you made a joke before, right? So 10 years in nonprofit, you're dating yourself. Uh, I feel like 10 years in nonprofit is like 30 years of normal time. <laughs> it's like dog years. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it's great because it's, it's part of that mission. But, you know, something that really stands out to me for you this is really only a part of what you do. Now, clearly, this is part of the mission that you've personally got. And one of the things I love talking to alumni who are really successful, they say, look, you know, it's not just about a job. It's about who you are and what matters to you when you bring that to bear. Well, some of the ways that I see this, and I'm, I'm so curious as to how you balance all this. You're not just doing this in your job and not just 10 years in nonprofit. You're a commissioner, and I'm going to read this real quick because there's quite a few. You're commissioner for civil rights in Bloomfield. Um, you're an adjunct professor at Seton Hall. You're a board member at the American College of Healthcare Executives. You are a recognized mentor. Um, you are a subject matter expert in your field. You're speaking all the time. You're talking to the community all the time and partnering with different organizations. How do you find the time to do all this, uh, given the fact that so much of what you're doing is meaningful and thoughtful? I mean, you're not just tossing this off. You're really having an impact. So how do you how do you do all this? I, I ask myself the same, the same question sometimes. But, you know, in all seriousness, I think a lot of it is about doing what you're passionate about. I, I try to say yes, really, to the things that uh, are meaningful to me and that I'm passionate about. I don't want to have to give you know, 50%, I really want to always give 100%. So I really only say yes to the things that I know I want to and can commit to, um, you know, but also never really closing a door whenever an opportunity comes around, even if it's something that doesn't sound like it's in my wheelhouse, I'll always listen and see if it's something that is, you know, it's certainly worth pursuing and, and I can, you know, give my all to that. You know, of course, I don't want to, give something half if it it will not be a benefit to the to the other organization, but really only really saying yes to things that I truly love and am passionate and committed to because a lot of it, you know, again, I think it, it kind of goes back into that question you asked earlier about building trust and being authentic. You know, if I said yes to every every single thing just just because it, you know, it sounds good or it looks good on paper. Uh, it probably would be disingenuous of me and, and people can see right through that. So I really only say yes to the things that I that I love. And while it certainly sounds like a lot, um, you know, being being part of the commission in Bloomfield, you know, I, I'm a Bloomfield resident. 
Uh, I'm from Bergen County originally, but have resided in Essex County for the last seven years now. So being able to give back to my community um, kind of comes full circle with the work that I do. And the same thing with, with teaching. I love to, to, to teach and educate and mentor. So that's certainly an opportunity to give back um, because a lot of these things are also tied into service and, you know, to whom much is given, much is expected, I think is the, is the way the adage goes. So I try to practice that on a daily basis when I can and give back to those. Well, Paul, I can definitely tell you that uh, you're really an inspiration to the folks around you. I think you're very much an inspiration to the alumni and students who will be watching this. Uh, I do want to give you one final opportunity, maybe the last word. Uh, is there any advice you would give to students who are maybe about to graduate or who have just graduated who are looking to make an impact uh, in a similar way that you're doing? Anything you want to share with them that you think might be helpful to them in, uh, in today's environment? Yeah, so I, I can definitely tell you that when I was at NJIT in undergrad, so my undergrad is in biology, and I, you know, thought I wanted to go to medical school, I guess my advice to folks would be that sometimes the, the path is not as you expect it to be, and it's not always linear. You know, I like to describe it a little bit like a jungle gym, that there's you know, a couple of different obstacles that you're, you'll come along the way, and it sort of goes in a bit of a zigzag rather than uh, a straight line. And, and that's okay. You know, you have to sort of try different things before you land um, on what, you know, what you really love and what you're passionate about. But also, you know, back a little bit to the question that you asked um, just, just now about how I find time to do all these different things is, is be open-minded. And just because something doesn't sound like, you know, that's not what I went to school for, that's, those aren't the classes that I, that I enjoyed, don't shut down the opportunities because you never know what that what door that might open. So keep an open mind is what I would certainly say. But for folks that want to get involved more with um, with with areas of service and, and and social impact and diversity and inclusion, you know, find find opportunities to volunteer and to work with your own community. I mean, you know, the role that I that I'm in now in terms of uh, the commissioner for civil rights in Bloomfield, you know, that happened you know through a conversation and and. You know, people saying, hey, you know, I, I, I'm kind of looking for someone to get involved in, in this kind of work. And I happen to be at the right place at the right time. But, you know, initially when if you said to me that I'd be involved sort of in, in public service, uh, kind of on the political side, because these roles tend to be somewhat politically inclined, I would have said, you're out of your mind. <laughs> but it's been very rewarding. So keep an open mind. Um, listen, don't, uh, don't just shut down an opportunity because it doesn't sound like it's something that is interesting or that's for you, or maybe it's not presented and, and neatly packaged the way that you kind of envision, uh, give it a chance and have an open mind and an open heart. Paul, thank you so much. Um, and I want to thank you very much for taking the time to meet with me today. It's been a pleasure being in touch with you. Uh, and Paul, I also want to give you a, a formal face-to-face -face congratulations on being selected as one of our alumni awardees. Uh, really technically in 2020, that's continued and will continue through uh, this upcoming year to the, uh, due to the COVID pandemic. Um, but we are so proud and so honored that you're graduate of NJIT and thanks uh, so much for participating in today's Highlander chat. Mike, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure to be here. Um, you know, NJIT has a special place in my heart. I, you know, I reside in Essex County now, so I'm not, I'm not too far from the campus, but thank you for thinking of me. 
and thank you for for the award. Hopefully, in twenty twenty one, we might have uh, an in person ceremony. Fingers <laughs> crossed. Now that we have a vaccine, and and hopefully, folks, you know, will will get the vaccine, and and we can have um, you know resume a new a new norm. So, thank you so much for this opportunity. Very honored to be here. So, thank you so much. My pleasure, and uh, my best, and happy holidays to you and your family. Thank you. Same to you, Mike. Thanks. So that was our latest Highlander chat with Paula Gutierrez, class of 2009. She's Director of Diversity and Inclusion at Robert Wood Johnson Barnabas uh, Health and also at Robert Wood Johnson University Hospital in Somerset. Uh, my name is Mike Small, and again, I'm Executive Director of the Alumni Relations Office of NJIT. Um, as a reminder, our Highlander chats are available on all of our social media. That's Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram. They're also available as a podcast on Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Finally, my congratulations again to Paula. Paula is a wonderful example of what all alumni uh, can and should aspire to, as well as NJIT students. So I look forward to welcoming you to our next Highlander chat in the next few months. And uh, stay in touch. Finally, as I like to say at the end of all of our broadcasts, go Highlanders. <laughs>